Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. And there's this sin in the old way of life, and then there's the life in the spirit, and they're at war with each other, and we're always being pulled to this. So repentance is, it has to be an active thing. An active thing, meaning you have to physically turn and you have to walk in a new direction. You physically, actively have to pursue the right thing because you will naturally turn and gravitate towards this thing. You know that. You know that as well as I do. Since the Garden of Eden, there has been a war inside each of us between the ways of the flesh and the ways of the spirit. Today, Pastor James will emphasize the natural bend that we as humans have towards sin. If this is something that you wrestle with, know that you're not alone. But also know this, that you can live a good and righteous life in the eyes of God. But that kind of life demands effort and intentional living. How are you doing with that? Do you just accept your sinful desires or are you actively pursuing God? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts chapter 2 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. talk about Jesus. You killed him. You're guilty. And they're all like, oh, because a lot of these guys were probably there 50 days prior when he was, or 50 some odd days prior when he was crucified and buried in that tomb. You're probably dealing with a lot of the same crowd. Maybe some of the in this attendance were ones who were shouting, crucify him. We don't know. That's speculation. We don't know. But we do know that these, you know, holidays, these feasts with uh, Passover and then Pentecost, I mean, they're, you know, 50 days apart from each other. A lot of guys, you're going to make that journey, you're going to stay, right? You're going to stay, okay? So they're hangovers, so to speak, from the Passover. But he says, he's like, with the help of the lawless Gentiles, with the help of the Romans, you nailed him to the cross and you murdered him. You murdered him. You killed the Messiah. For the Jews, this is a big deal, Okay. For Americans, it's like, yeah, Jesus was supposed to die on the cross. For the Jews who are waiting for the Messiah to have that strike you, can you understand? Can you put yourself in their position and receive that for yourself? Put yourself as a Jewish individual who's like, you have holidays, you have feasts that are centered around the Messiah coming. And this guy, Jesus, shows up and performs all the things that the Messiah was supposed to perform. And then this guy, Peter, stands up. This fisherman from Galilee stands up, and he's quoting scripture like nobody's business. And he says, you killed the Messiah. Can you imagine what that would feel like? You're like, and that's maybe the blinders being taken off, and they are being hit with this truth of like, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, man. This is one we've been celebrating for so long. Thousands of years we've been waiting for him. And he showed up, and we missed it? We missed Jesus? We missed the Messiah. And Peter's like, yeah, you did. You missed him. You didn't just miss him. You killed him. However, verse 24, praise God for the howevers in the Bible and the buts in the Bible and all that. Praise God for these things, okay? However, God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life again. 
Now, there's a connection to this of Jesus descending down into hell and preaching to the captives and setting captivity free. We can go into that some other day because that's a whole other thing that we can talk about. But that was all part of it. And just like you said, with the sign of Jonah, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and then three days later was resurrected, so to speak, that's what Jesus said. That's the sign I'll give you. So he's doing business. It's not like he was just dead and like nothing was happening for three days. He was doing business, okay? He was talking to all the Old Testament saints, all right? But again, I can't, I want to go into that, but we can't do that. Okay, so, uh, but Peter's just like nonchalantly, like, yeah, it was part of God's plan. You murdered him. Uh, but here, here's the good news. You're guilty, but there's good news. God raised him from the dead. He brought him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is filled with joy, and my mouth shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will give me wonderful joy in your presence. And what he's saying, and he's going to explain it there too, but it's just like, I mean, you can tell. I mean, Peter stands up, and he's just preaching. And it's like Joel chapter 2, and then Psalm, and then he's got another Psalm to come. And it's just like the Spirit is just moving through this guy. And he's like, boom, boom, boom. And it's the Word. And that's what it is. It's just, that's the best thing to do. It's the Word. Here you go. Prophecy's been fulfilled. David wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about somebody else. And that's what he says in verse 29. Dear brothers, think about this. David wasn't referring to himself when he spoke these words I've quoted. For he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. In fact, where they were, it wasn't that far away. He's like, we can walk to David's grave, and we can pull out the bones that he didn't raise from the grave. He's still there. You can go there today, and you can see his tomb. I mean, it's still there. Clearly, he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about somebody else. It says, verse 30, but he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants, which we know from the genealogical records, Jesus fits that, that one of David's own descendants would sit on David's throne as the Messiah. Verse 31, David was looking into the future and predicting the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that the Messiah would not be left among the dead and that his body would not rot in the grave. This prophecy was speaking of Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. We are all witnesses of this. Now he sits on the throne in the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, which is just what happened, right? We just saw that the beginning in chapter 2. Just as you see and hear today, for David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said in another psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let it be clearly known by everyone in Israel that God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. I mean, like, I'm reading this, and I'm just envisioning myself sitting there, and I'm just like, whoa, yeah. I mean, like, man, Peter, get it. Like, this is amazing. Like, power. Like, this is incredible. Right? Like, he's just killing it. And here are these, these individuals. They're just listening. And you can just see that the jaws are dropped because truth is resounding within their hearts. And they know they're guilty. But I love it. I mean, he's just like the word. And man, he's like, let's just go back to what the word has already said. It's already said this was going to happen. He gave us a heads up thousands of years ago. This is what's going on. You need to wake up. 
You need to wake up. You should have been here with us. You should have been a part of the 120, but you missed it. You should have been one of his 12, but you missed that. But it's not too late. And as the horror is kind of settling in on their hearts of like, we literally murdered the Messiah, Peter's like, but there's good news. How could there be good news? Well, he's not dead. And that's good news for you and I, because we could sit here thinking like 2,000 years after the fact of being thinking like, well, yeah, it's kind of a bummer of a story. No, you need to understand your sins put him on the cross. You're just as guilty as all these guys. Each and every one of us is just as guilty as everybody in this story. It was my sins that put him on that cross. My sins. I would have been part of the crowd being like, oh, uh, yeah, that was, I am guilty. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're all guilty of that. You guys remember that movie that I can't think of right now? It just slipped my brain. This is always good. This is good for radio. What is it? That, the Passion. That's right. The Jesus movie, right? The Passion. Like the Mel Gibson one. The bloody one. The one that you can only watch like one time. And then you're like, okay, no moss. I can't watch any more of this. I saw it a few times. I saw it in the theaters when it came out and wrecked. Like eyes are all red and crying and stuff. So Mel Gibson, who was the main you know, driving force behind that movie, there's that classic, uh, if you understand the, the movie, like when he's, Jesus is being crucified, not really Jesus, Jim Caviezel. He was a believer, I believe, right now. But the hand, the Roman hand that's holding the spike in place that hammers the spike down, like that's Mel Gibson. That's his hand. That's, and he was like, that's got to be a part of the scene. Why? Because he understands. It's my sins that put him there. It's my sins that put him there. I think that's a good place for all of us to be to a certain degree. Now, you can't hang out there, right? You can't wallow in that. You can't just like sit there and be like, oh, man. Uh, yeah, my sins. My sins killed Jesus. Yeah, but he's not dead, okay? The story's not over. There is good news. The good news is that God raised him from the dead, and those same sins that put him on the cross are covered by his blood, and anybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Like, there's freedom from that. There's guilt. Like, the guilt can be washed away. It's a beautiful story. It's the most amazing story in all of mankind, in all of our history. This is the most amazing story ever written, to ever have happened in humanity. And it's a personal story for you and I, because it applies to you. It applies to me. And Peter's not just saying like, he's saying like, yeah, you guys did it. But Peter has a good understanding that his sins also were a part of that. Read First and Second Peter, and you'll see that pretty clearly. But Peter's like, listen, man, he's the Lord and the Messiah. Verse 37, here's the goal. This is what you always want to happen. Peter's words convicted them or cut sharply to their hearts. The word is living. It's active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And it knows how to pierce through all the, I say, the nonsense. It knows how to get through all the nonsense that's inside of me and get right to the heart of the matter. And this is exactly what's happening to this crowd. Convicted them deeply, and they said to him and to the other apostles who are standing with Peter. Now, and they're just like, they're just giving it to him, especially Peter. Peter is the leader, he is the spokesman. But the crowd cries out to them, Brothers, what shall we do? Here's the beauty, and I love that the fact that the story doesn't end there, where Peter's like, Well, my time's up, 45 minutes. Um, I've, let's close out with a song. And uh, you just come back next week. We'll talk about that next week. Like, he doesn't do that at all, right? Praise God for that, okay? He's not bound by time or anything. They're like, what do we do? Okay, this is true. Our hearts have been pierced by this truth. So what's the remedy? Peter replied, each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God. That means repentance. It's to turn away from something 
to turn from something. I'm walking down this path, and I need to turn. It's not enough for me to stop, to turn my back to sin. That's not what it's talking about. Because if you're a human being, and you are, you'll just naturally gravitate back towards this thing. Because there's this war inside of you, and it's inside of me as well. And there's this sin in the old way of life, and then there's the life in the spirit, and they're at war with each other, and we're always being pulled to this. So repentance is, it has to be an active thing, an active thing, meaning you have to physically turn and you have to walk in a new direction. You physically, actively have to pursue the right thing because you will naturally turn and gravitate towards this thing. You know that. You know that as well as I do. You can be sorry about this thing, but sorry doesn't cut it, right? It only matters if you're actually taking steps this way and getting further and further away from that thing. The tendency in your life is always going to be to to be drawn to this thing. It's always going to be there until the day you die. That's when that's completely severed. There's no more power there now, but the draw is there. Romans chapter 6, read it. It talks all about it, how there's that thing and my flesh. I mean, it's been crucified with Christ, but that mouth, it's rendered paralyzed, but that mouth just keeps yapping, and it keeps trying to draw me back to the old lifestyle. It's like, no, i got to move purposely this way, move closer to him. That's repentance. So Peter's saying, you have to repent. Turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's like, what we got today, it's available for you. But what you need to do, you need to repent from your sins. You should get baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's it. What do you need to do? There's your medicine right there. You want to get better? You want your life saved because you're dead. You're dying. Like, you're a dead person. You want new life? There it is. Turn from your sins Get baptized. Now, we need to understand that this, some guys will take this as like, now, see, baptism is a part of salvation. You have to be baptized in order to be saved. That's not what it's saying at all. That's not what it's saying at all. And you don't have to be baptized in this church. That's not what it's saying at all, because there's more than enough evidence in the Bible that speaks to like, baptism should be a public proclamation of you following Jesus. If you don't have the chance to get baptized in this life, but you are following Jesus, Jesus isn't going to stand at the gates of heaven maybe alongside Peter, because I guess he's the gatekeeper or something up there. I don't know what that is. But um, they're not going to be like, okay, you confess that I'm your Lord. Sweet. Check. Um, all right. But baptism, you didn't get baptized? Oh, I'm sorry. You're going to have to go. You can't. That's not how it works. I hope you know that, because there's a guy who's a thief on the cross. I've referenced this before. He was dying literally next to Jesus. And he's like, he's like hey, take me with you. Take me with you. And Jesus says, you'll, today you'll be with me in paradise. Nobody's throwing buckets of water on this guy. Like, nobody's doing that. He's just dying on the cross. He didn't get a chance to get baptized. Should you get baptized? Absolutely. I think baptism is non-negotiable for Christians. It's not essential for salvation, but it is non-negotiable for Christians. You should publicly proclaim that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, period. Because you should tell people. You should proclaim, like, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Christ follower. This is who I am. This is who I am. That's what it's saying. But Peter is saying, you should repent of your sins, and you should identify yourselves as Jesus people, Christ followers. That's what he's saying. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's also a good thing, especially for pastors. Verse 40, then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Okay, so you're like, dang, come on, man. Listen, 
At least you weren't part of this. I'm sure this thing went for like hours, okay? I don't, that's my feeling anyways, but I don't know. But he continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this generation that has gone astray. Now, he's not saying save yourselves, but he's saying separate yourselves from this generation that is wicked and is corrupt. Make a distinction. And you will do that if you turn from your sins and you identify yourself as a Christ follower. Your life will serve as that example. It doesn't mean you have to dress a certain way or anything. You continue to be who you are, personality-wise and all that good stuff, but you are holy. You're holy because he is holy. There has to be a distinction. There has to be a distinction. People have to know that you're a Christ follower. They have to know that. It might cause some interesting conversations in your world. Bring them on. There's nothing wrong with that. Let people ask you questions about your faith in Jesus. Let them ask. Try to give them answers. If you don't know the answer, then say, I don't know the answer. It's okay to not know. Ask them questions. Well, what do you believe in? Why do you believe in that? Help me to understand. Help me to understand where you're coming from. Treat people like people with dignity and respect. You're made in the image of God. Well, guess what? So are they. Okay? So let people, let them know I'm a believer. You don't look like a believer. I don't know what you're doing. I don't even know what a believer is supposed to look like. But I know I can say, get my hair cut yesterday, and the lady has no clue that I'm Pastor James. No clue at all. She's like, oh, it's kind of cool that you get, you know, your work lets you have tattoos and earrings, and you can cut your hair however you want. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they don't care. I don't think they do. I mean, nobody's wrote me any cards yet, so uh, probably end up in the trash anyways. So I'm just saying, I just, I'm working with what I got, okay? Um, It doesn't matter. How do you treat people? And let them know, yeah, I'm a, listen, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, and I care about you. Why? Because you're made in his image. And I have this great Jesus and this gospel that changed my life. And man, I would be totally selfish if I kept it to myself and didn't share it with you. You got a disease, I got the cure. How inhumane would we be if we never shared the cure with people who are dying? That's ridiculous. So here's Peter saying, just identify yourselves as his, as Christ's followers. Separate yourself from this wicked generation. It, here's what happens, and this we'll, we'll close out on this, because I've taught on this passage many times, this portion of Scripture many times. We're going to read through this, and I want to instruct you with a few things. Verse 41. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church. 3,000 people. Can you believe that? 3,000 people. A megachurch was born in an instant, in a day. I mean, a megachurch is 1,000 people, according to American standards. This is 3,000 individuals who are like, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to do that. I'm going to follow Jesus, and uh, I want to go get baptized. They baptized 3,000 people in one day. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine the visual that that created with a million people around in Jerusalem, all there for Pentecost and for the festivals and all that stuff, watching 3,000 people just getting dunked? Boom. Boom. And I'm sure all 120 believers were participating. Maybe Mary herself was dunking people. I don't know. But you had to have everybody participating because you got 3,000 people. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. So they're being added to the church, about 3,000 in all. They joined with other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and that's where it's the word, okay, and fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper, and in prayer. These are the pillars that they established for themselves. Now, understand this. This is speaking to Jewish people. This is the beginning. This was Jewish people. And these people didn't stay like this. Because I know there's this thing of like, when I did youth ministry, I had some 
you know, some students were like, oh, it's like communism. I'm like, no, if you understand communism, it's not like that at all. Number one, you need to understand, these people all went home after this festival was done. They didn't stay like this. They all went home. That explains, as we get further into the book of Acts, that Paul will show up to regions and there's already a church planted there. Well, who planted it? Probably somebody from this 3,000 crowd went and took it back to their hometown and started a church, a gathering of believers. And what did they do? Well, they opened up the word, they fellowship with each other, they did communion together, and they prayed together. That's it. What do you need from a church? That's what you need from a church. So that's what they were doing for while they were there. Verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. Of course they're going to do that. Verse 45, they sold their possessions and shared with those in need. You have travelers from abroad. They're probably going to need some things. And so they're just looking out for the needs of others. That's what they're doing. That's what a church should do as well. Okay? They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. It's just this new thing has started. All while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. So while they were there for this feast, the Lord was doing this miraculous thing, this incredible thing. And then eventually, they're all going to go home, and then even the church that's established is going to get persecuted, and it's going to split, and it's going to spread out. But here's some things you can take away with. We'll close with this. What to look for in a church. Okay? This is, I stole this from Greg Laurie. This is actually one of his Bibles. Not his, like, personal Bible. <laughs> that would be weird, right? Like, I stole Greg Laurie's personal Bible. Um, no, I didn't do that. But it says, what to look for in a church. So this is something you should make sure that we're doing these things. And I, I've already checked through this list, and I can tell you Calvary Galveston does these things, okay? Um, look for a church that meets together regularly. Well, every Sunday at 10 a.m., then there's a ladies' Bible study on Tuesdays, and then there's men's Bible studies on Saturday, and we are actively working on a midweek service right now, okay? There you go, all right? So we're going to do that. That's all going to happen. We are regularly going to meet together. We do already. Two, look for a church that places high priority on Bible study. I mean, I just talked about the Bible. I'm going to give you the Bible. That's it, right? So places priority on Bible study. Our ladies' Bible study, it, the emphasis is always going to be on the Word. Men's Bible study, emphasis is always going to be on the Word. We can't get enough of this thing. We cannot get enough of the Word. Three, number three, look for a church that is a place of corporate worship and prayer. We gather together to worship. And worship isn't just singing songs. Worship is, it's also giving and it's serving together. We do those things. Prayer. There's a prayer meeting that happens at 9 a.m. before this service. That's just what we do. Four, look for a church that looks after its members. I hope we're doing that. Um, that's hard to do, okay, just so you understand. But that's why it takes all of us. Because if you're relying on me to look after every member, I mean, look around. I can't possibly look after each and every need that's in this room on my own. I can't do it. And if you expect that from me, I won't last. I just won't last. That's not even how God intended it to be. You're here to be a part of the solution and watching each other's backs and watching out for each other. So help me and the leadership here by just taking care of each other so that we do do that. We want to make sure that we're doing that as well. And then the last one is this. Look for a church that is growing. And we're growing. The Lord is, is adding people and, and all that good stuff. And I hope Calvary Galveston, I hope you're here because I know some of you guys are out of town. You're visiting and all that good stuff. Um, that's fine. You can move here. It's cool. Wherever you came from. No, um, listen, you're part of a home church and all that. But the Lord's adding, he's doing something here at Calvary Galveston. And none of us can take credit for it. We can't take any credit for it. We just show up. And we're faithful to his word. 
and we're faithful to him. And each and every Sunday morning or Tuesday night or Saturday morning or possibly Thursday nights, we're just going to say, Jesus, above anybody else, we want you to be here. We ask that you would be here. I hope you, through that list, that you could agree with me that Calvary Galveston is about those things. And I hope that this is your home church. And there's plenty for you to do here. Plenty. You've been listening to another edition of Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're so glad that you joined us as we learned about the early church in the book of Acts together. What an incredibly powerful book of God's faithfulness. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more teachings from Pastor James, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the teachings tab. While you're there, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry, Calvary Chapel Galveston. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you visit. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for worship and Bible study. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed, so we invite you to come just as you are. For directions and to learn more about us, just visit breadforthebroken.com. We would also love to connect with you. Just drop us a note in the contact form to let us know if you've been blessed by this ministry. Would you also prayerfully consider partnering with us in this ministry? Support from people like you allows us to share the gospel in unique and amazing ways. If you'd like to donate, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the Donations tab. Any and all donations are welcome and greatly appreciated. We thank you in advance for your generosity in partnering with what God is doing. Our website one more time is breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but be sure to tune in again next time as Pastor James teaches more from the Book of Acts right here on Bread for the Broken.